0: Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back.
1: Well. Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Here's your host, James Christopher.
2: welcome to Let's Get 2. I am your host, James Christopher. And if it sounds like all of the pollen in Austin, Texas is living in my throat, it's because all of the pollen in Austin, Texas is living in my throat. We've got a fun episode today. We are doing a deep dive into the world champion Boston Red Sox system as we talk to their high A advanced team, their double A team, and their triple A team. Lish and I made it out to my first Astros game of the year. So we're going to go From the Bleachers with Alicia Rivera, and Winter is Coming. We are going to jump right in, though, and first of all, we want to say a very special happy birthday to the greatest baseball movie of all time, Major League. Major league turned 30, which I'm super not okay with, but we will accept it because it's meant 30 years of enjoying what I think is an incredible baseball movie. And I'm going to watch it again tonight since the Astros are off. We're also going to send out a special birthday to the Astrodome. The Astrodome opened in 1965 on April 9th. I know a lot of people's eyes roll when they think of the Astrodome. They think of a big, dingy cookie cutter stadium. They think of AstroTurf and they talk about that like it's some sort of virus on the game of baseball. I know that Bob Costas doesn't like it very much, but you know, for For me, it's my childhood. For me, it really is what made Major League Baseball work in Houston. You really cannot play in an exclusive outdoor stadium in Texas and make it work. Just ask the Texas Rangers, who are going to abandon their still relatively new ballpark for a retractable roof because they realize that no one wants to be outside in Texas in August. So happy birthday to the Dome. Like I said, we have a really packed show today. One of the things that's really, really cool is that we're going to be speaking to Melanie Newman, and Mike Antonellis. Now, both Melanie and Mike are play-by-play announcers for the Red Sox system. And I'm really, really tickled because this is the first of a couple of play-by-play announcers that we'll be speaking to this season. But it tickles me because I've always had dreams of doing that for a living. And like a lot of people didn't really know it was something you could do. I just sort of thought other people did it, but it wasn't for me. And so in my head, I've always had this like dream of you know, who knows, I'm probably too old to start it now, but maybe someday giving it up and just going and finding a team and trying to do it. So I'm really, really tickled. Play-by-play announcers, Milo Hamilton is who I grew up with. And I will talk about as much as anybody will let me really was the voice of my childhood. I'll never forget doing that thing where I was supposed to be in bed and the Astros were playing a West coast game and listening to the game on my clock radio, really, really low because it was a school night and Billy Doran stealing home and just like freaking out. It was very sitcom level of nerddom. And, you know, so yeah, so much of my, of my memories are wrapped up with Milo Hamilton and I will, I've, I've bookmarked a bunch of his calls from YouTube that I'll go back and listen to. The Astros also have Robert Ford and Steve Sparks right now. And I think they are a great combination and work really, really well together. So, you know, there's a quote that says, you know, baseball's the only game you can see on the radio and it's the truth. Sometimes it's my preferred way to follow teams. And I've actually had a chance already to listen to both Melanie and Mike call a couple of different Salem and Portland games. And they do a great job. They make you feel like you're there. And so it's. I think it's the biggest compliment you can give to a play-by-play person. But I do want to take a second, too, to, to really encourage those of you who are fans of minor league baseball. You can find all of the games on the radio through – just go to MILB Radio. Just Google that, and then the the a link to every single team's radio call will come up. I also paid for the MILB TV to help with the podcast, and it was fantastic. So, I mean, it's been really cool to watch – just some of the games and how the production values can really vary from team to team. Uh, but before we go into our segments, I do want to do uh, just a special congratulations and another happy birthday to the round rock express who turned 20 last night podcast, co-owner and co-owner of the parent club of the podcast, the Austin revolution film festival, Nathan Bybee and I went out and w- it was cool. We were down on the field for batting practice and just really taking it all in. And it was a beautiful night for baseball and just beautiful night for baseball, a chamber of commerce night in Austin, Texas or in round rock. and, Really, really just a great way to kick off what's going to be a fun baseball season. And in the spirit of Let's Get To, Nathan and I are going to get to because we are going to be at the San Antonio Missions on Friday. So we are looking forward to getting out to Wolf Stadium and seeing one of the oldest baseball teams in Texas take the field.
1: To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To promotion of the week.
2: That is my attempt at the Game of Thrones theme, because we are five days away from the season premiere of the final season of Game of Thrones. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, like most everyone, and am... Both dreading and excited about the last season, knowing that things are going to get crazy and then sad that it's gone until all the subsequent prequels and spinoff series start. But let's not worry about that now. Well, what I do find weird, and you're thinking to yourself, why is Game of Thrones coming up in a baseball podcast? What I do find weird is that minor league and major league baseball, which really are wholesome family entertainment, have all embraced Game of Thrones night which is maybe the least family-friendly show ever. So it's weird, but I dig it because I dig Game of Thrones, and some of the bobbleheads that come out of Game of Thrones night are the coolest. Lots of teams are doing them this year. Some of them are calling them Westeros night. Some of them are calling just straight-up Game of Thrones night. But some of the highlights, some of the ones to look forward to, Jessica and I will be at the Astros Game of Thrones night on May the 7th. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are doing it also on May the 7th. The Sugarland Skeeters are going to have their head coach, Pete Incaviglia, on the throne for May 11th. The Peoria Chiefs are doing it June 2nd. And the Buffalo Bisons are doing it on June 22nd. So if you're a Game of Thrones fan, if you're in those regions, check it out and try to get one of the cool bobbleheads or one of the cool giveaways. And I also, I'm pretty confident that I'll be finding some of them on eBay. And just remember this. As... Game of Thrones starts, and and what an interesting approach they're taking with basically doing six or seven two-hour episodes, and that's it, basically mini-movies, that know that there's a chance that I will turn it off and quit watching if Tyrion Lannister dies.
1: From the Bleachers, the Let's Get To Game
2: of the Week. So it is the Astros' home opener, and... I would love to say that we are coming to you live from the bleachers, but we are not because there were about 43,000 other people going on and we never would have heard it. So we are actually coming to you from the front seat of my car on the drive back to Austin, Texas. And when you're driving back to Austin from Houston, down in the Maid Park, uh, you exit from I-10 on the US-71 towards Columbus. And as... My co-host for right now, Lisha Rivera, pointed out I don't get to go to Columbus, Ohio <laughs> As much as I want to go see Jason Tossaman. But, Lish, thank you for joining Let's Get To
3: Thank you for having me I'm so excited to be on this podcast
2: She says this podcast because she's actually a big regular on the other one <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yes, I'm a regular one for Movie Bark And uh, so this is a, a cool one to transition over to for, for the time
2: And a big deal because, you know the idea that I went to the Astros home opener with anybody other than my lovely bride is kind of a big deal.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I I enjoy that I'm second runner up to Jessica because yeah, it is an honor to an be honor. anywhere near Jessica's presence. So yeah.
2: <laughs> so um, let's start from the the back, and we'll start from the back and work. We'll start from the end of the day and work back to the beginning of the day. We're tired. It's about ten thirty. We've had a long day, as you'll hear about. What were your impressions of Minute Maid Parks? I know it's been well over, how long did you say, 10 years? It's
3: 10 years. I've been to that park once in my life uh, and it was some bad memories, so I'm so glad that I wiped that slate clean and you made a beautiful, brand new uh, memory of the park for me and I absolutely loved it.
2: And what was your favorite part about your game experience at Minute Maid Park? (laughs) <laughs>
3: uh, definitely the food. Right. Um, I was told by the lovely, beautiful Jessica to try the uh, Cheeto popcorn, and it's basically the Cheeto dust on on the popcorn, and it was amazing. It was life changing. Yeah. So uh, I did enjoy that, and of course a hot dog because who goes to a ballpark and doesn't have a hot dog?
2: And, you know, people who have seen our movies know that you're about five foot tall and you weigh something like 87 pounds okay first of all
3: god bless you <laughs> uh, and i am four eleven and three quarters okay <laughs> growing every day
2: but it would it <laughs> it would shock people to know that this girl
3: can eat i eat a lot yeah <laughs> but i'm a very active runner so yeah. i think if i were to eat healthy i would have the most toned amazing body <laughs> with how much i work out but i love food and my culture i love tacos i love enchiladas so
2: <laughs> i love that we walked in and through the gate we happened to walk in at the first thing we saw right was the cheetos popcorn yes yeah,
3: so like, oh, this is where i start because
2: yeah. <laughs> it isn't just cheetos dust there's also pieces of cheetos yes. yeah it really is kind of cool it
3: was very good so jessica thank you so much for that recommendation and i'm going to make them at home now
2: good <laughs> good did we uh we, you know, we spent the first couple of innings just kind of going all over the park and checking out the vantage points. Um, any overall impressions of just the it made?
3: Uh, it's so awesome that everybody is there to have a good time. Every, everybody, all ages, all cultures, um, even from different teams. <laughs> I mean, people are walking around oh, with right, right, random right. jerseys of different teams that weren't playing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but everyone's having a good time getting along. It's none of this... Uh, team rivalry or anything like that. and It's well, a beautiful thing. Tell them about, about
2: the, the fight. I, I'm using air quotes, The fight I almost broke up, right?
3: So we saw these two gentlemen uh, that were really close together uh, with each other to kind of looked like they were about to like get in a fight and maybe they were like, talking trash to each other. Because one had an A's jersey. Yeah, different jerseys. And so he goes up and he's like, whoa, whoa, guys, guys. And they're like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. So uh, he didn't know if he was going to step in and, and stop a fight and you yeah. just made a new friend from made
1: Oakland. for some some, a new friend from <laughs> Oakland, and, uh,
2: yeah, it was a good time. Uh, speaking of new friends, which was, what was sort of cool was we, again, we're working backward, and we we got to meet Larry, the GM, who's been on the show before. Yeah. Um, really, really super nice guy. Larry, it was a real pleasure meeting you. Really awesome. Um, I had a drink. And it was just really cool to talk at Talk Baseball. Yeah. And um, and then before that, you know, I, I wanted to swing by. We, we got a little bit of a late start, but I wanted to swing through and show Lish the uh, Eighth Wonder Brewery. So we spent about, you know, 20 minutes or so there. But Lish, can you please tell everybody a little bit about <laughs> what went down at the Eighth Wonder Brewery? And more importantly, like your whole connection to the whole thing was amazing <laughs> that it happened. So,
3: okay. So, um, whenever I got uh, to Jim's house to start the day, uh, he was upset that I wasn't wearing an Astros shirt. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have anything. I'll get one at the game. So I was wearing a shirt that says, uh, GSP, which is short for German shorthaired pointer, uh, GSP dog Mo- or dog mom. So I'm wearing this shirt, Uh, so he takes me over to this bar, and uh, out front, there's people that are selling these uh, glass, uh, glass cups called Pints for Pointers. And the guy's like, oh, well, what we're doing, it's for the uh, the GSP rescue. You don't know what that is. So immediately I show him my shirt. And he's like, oh, wow, you're wearing a GSP mom. I'm like, yes, I'm a mother. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, all the, the proceeds, if you bought this this cup and this glass, uh, Pines for Pointers, uh, goes to the Texas GSP rescue.
2: And we'll put a link to that in the podcast yes. so people can donate if they want.
3: And um, so, so excited. So he's like, yeah, we have a bunch of dogs here so we walk in and naturally it's like okay I mean it's a a bar it's a cool bar awesome settings and surroundings and I go outside y'all there were so many German short hair
0: pointers
3: (laughs) everywhere so I was the happiest girl in the world it was so exciting Um, it was the best day for me and I told him basically I'm like I honestly don't care if I go to the game anymore (laughs) you can just leave me here with these dogs and they were so awesome, and, and I love German short hair pointers. I got um, three Ruger Remy and Colts, like them all babies. Uh, so it was really exciting that automatically I knew that today was going to be the best day ever, and, and it was. So
2: before we go outside of the outside of the dogs and the Cheetos, hmm. what was your favorite part of the ball
3: game? Uh, the ball game, Not the day. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think seeing Altuve uh, on the big screen,
2: Yeah.
3: that was very exciting because I'm a big fan of him because he's, you know, representing us, um, us that have the height deficiency, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very proud of him and he's uh, putting us out there because <laughs> I, I used to date someone that used to say, oh no, people under uh, five 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 are not athletic. <laughs>
2: yeah that was I, 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 what i love about that statement a thousand percent of the people listening they thought you were going to talk about him representing latinos or Latinos, uh, <laughs> and, and, and half of them were going to be like oh yeah he is and the other half would be like the majority of the astros are latinx so <laughs> uh yeah he's definitely out there representing the shorties
3: yeah well
2: lish thanks so much for being on the show thank you stuff about baseball my dad hates Alright, so we are back with my brother Tim to discuss another thing that not only not only is this a thing that apparently my dad hates about baseball, but it's something that really bugs us about him. So yeah, uh dad hates about baseball this week. Well, this is honestly all of it. Apparently the eighth and ninth innings. <laughs> um he it was it was a long time before I knew those existed actually, because <laughs> We always thought that the, the game ends at seventh inning when Dad was like, all right, it was time to go. We've got to beat traffic. <laughs> yeah, Dad's, uh, Dad's desire to beat traffic was more stronger than his desire to watch the Astros beat the Cubs when we were growing up. Like he, It was head for the hills time. I agree. He thought the seventh inning stretch meant stretch your legs to the parking lot. <laughs> you know, Dad, particularly we're at Minute Maid Park now mm-hmm. when we go to home games at the Astros. It's not like it used to be where it was one big parking lot with, like, three exits. Yep. You're parked throughout downtown. Mm-hmm. Use some strategy. Walk you a couple blocks, and the traffic is a lot less to handle. And, Dad, sometimes things happen like post-game fireworks. Oh, that's true. Oh, walk-off home runs. Walk-off home runs happen. mm Yeah. interesting. And it's better to see them live yeah. than listening on the radio. Yeah. Instead of getting in the car and the Astros are coming back and we're like, can we go back in? Nope.
1: On deck, the Let's Get To interview of the week brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear.
2: We are just delighted to welcome Melanie Newman to the show. A versatile and energetic broadcaster, Melanie Newman is highly skilled as an announcer, sideline reporter, host, and commentator. She's one of eight women in the nation to call play-by-play for professional affiliated baseball. Melanie is currently the lead play-by-play broadcaster for the Salem Red Sox, the Boston High-A affiliate, and works for the ACC Network, Troy University, ESPN, Raycom for the Big South, Game Day Radio, and Major League Baseball Advanced Media. She's a former play-by-play broadcaster for the Texas Rangers AA affiliate in Frisco, Texas, host for WKSY-TV, Media Communications Coordinator for the Arizona Fall League. A Troy University graduate, she majored in broadcast journalism and earned a double major in leadership studies and sports information. And she and color analyst Susie Cool will make history as the first all-female broadcasting team in professional baseball. And just as a side, we, let's get to, and myself personal, we love it. At an age when women are starting to get more representation in media, especially in movies, it's great to see it happening in sports. And I've already listened to a couple of games, and they do a great job. They call a great game. They keep it fun. They keep it moving. They keep it engaged. And uh, we're really thrilled to have her on the show. Melanie, thanks so much for joining. Let's get to. Perfect. So before you started broadcasting, how did you get into baseball in the first place?
4: So uh, I grew up outside of Atlanta. And in between being near Turner Field and the Braves having their heydays in the 90s, I was also next to a complex called East Cobb Baseball Complex, and it's one of the largest in the nation. But what that resulted was baseball was a part of our culture. Um, All the guys that I grew up with played almost year round. They always had these huge tournaments in town. And even though we lived in in very much a football community, we're in the heart of the SEC, and we went to a ton of athletic events as a form of family time to spend together. My brain just really latched on and connected to baseball. And it's funny because a lot of people automatically assume that I played softball. I am not athletic enough for something like that, <laughs> but I, I couldn't help but want to know more about baseball and want to know the ins and outs and the intricacies and, you know, all the little odds and ends about it. And I got really lucky to end up having a small group of girlfriends in high school and they were the same way. I mean, I had a girl, she could have told you top to bottom the entire Braves roster, including, you know, the most likely on the 40 man who were going to get the next call up. And so it really fostered, um, my love for the game and the encouragement for me to get to know it more and to get to be around it more. And it just, it's only grown from there. You
2: know, you mentioned the Braves and I presume that I'm much older than you, but Yeah, as a diehard Astros fan, I know all about those Braves teams in the 90s.
4: You should, because that was before the realignment, right?
2: So, yeah, because before the realignment, every year was the Astros' year until they met the Braves. (laughs) I shall do my best to recover for the rest of the interview.
4: Well, I grew up a Red Sox fan, so if that makes you feel any better, I was, like, in the heart of really good baseball, and my particular team was not there.
2: (laughs) So how did you get into broadcasting?
4: Um. It was a very gradual thing. And it's funny because I talked to so many other broadcasters and, you know, they all knew. And a lot of them knew in high school and middle school. And they were growing up listening to these guys. And I definitely remember listening to certain broadcasters with my dad as a kid. And because he was so particular about what made a good or, you know, a not so good broadcaster, I learned how to pay attention to that. But I I didn't grow up idolizing that and thinking that was gonna be my role. Um, I was very much an introvert, I was morbidly shy, and I had a very strong talent in writing. And when that started to come together with sports and I started to figure that out a little more, um, I got involved in high school and I was writing for our yearbook, I did our photography, you know, any way that I could be around it. And then um, I started competing in pageants when I was 15. And it cracked me right out of my shell. And I, I did not grow up in a pageant background family. I mean, my mom's a Yankee, so, like, I the first time I said I wanted to compete, I think they kind of looked at me like I had antlers growing out of my head. Nice. But it it developed my interview skills to such a level, and it developed my, you know, ability to be out there. I mean, you're standing on a stage, and you're literally asking for people to judge you. Um so it started to develop my ability to be out there and to be present and to work my way out of my shell more and more. And then by the time I went to Troy, I had enrolled for our print journalism major and I met with my advisor and he actually suggested that I try broadcasting. And, you know, I was kind of still in that in between of, of finding my own seat and my own voice, but I was like, you know, what? sure. Like, we'll we'll give it a shot. Why not? And I've, fallen more in love with it every year since then and we actually found a couple of tapes maybe 5 years ago from when I was 3 or 4 years old I was running around the house giving play by play of what my family was doing and I don't remember doing that at all but it was like one of the the girl talk that Kevin had in Home Alone recorders that you know were kid friendly so we always joke that before I even knew you know, that I could do this. I was doing it when I was a kid.
2: As a movie guy, I appreciate any ability to reference Home Alone too. so thank you for that. (laughs) So, you know, we're recording this before the baseball season starts, but yet you're working, so what are we working on now?
4: Right now, as far as my current obligations, I love being involved in swimming and diving. Um, I do that through the ACC network, and they gave that sport to me for the first time last, and I was terrified. You know, I, I was not in a, I can doggy paddle. That's about it for me. Um, and so, you know, I never want to do an injustice to any sport whatsoever. And the fact that I was working alongside Olympians like Rowdy Gaines and Elizabeth Beisel, who have just these legendary titles as swimmers, that's all the more reason I can't go out there and be the stupid sideline reporter. Um, and this was, I just finished my second year with them on Monday, but it's been unbelievable just the caliber of talent but also the amount of detail that you do have to pay attention to it um so i think it challenges me more than anything else i've been covering lately and that's why i'm continually drawn to it but i do fly i'm currently in the car on the way to tampa for spring training and then i fly to canada friday to cover axe throwing and i've never covered that ever so (laughs) that might be the next bigger challenge
2: That's the most Canadian thing I've ever heard, competitive axe throwing. Are you required to wear denim on denim, the uh, Canadian tuxedo?
4: Well, so you laugh, but I had a production email from ESPN, and they said, hey, we don't think we're going to be able to get the fitted flannels in in time. Are you okay with just wearing the ESPN golf shirts? And I was like, is this real?
2: So you've worked all levels of baseball, you know, Salem coming up this year. You worked for Frisco the year before. But tell me about the challenges of covering the Arizona Fall League.
4: (laughs) ended up at the fall league for the first time in 2014 and to be honest i had not heard of it prior to that i had just finished my first season in mobile and all six of the guys arizona was sending were from mobile um so i kind of pitched it and it was one of those situations where you know i could go but it was going to be out of pocket but i could send back coverage of you know what they were doing out there during the off season and It was so awesome because you get to go to these beautiful stadiums that are spring training homes, but it's not even a fraction as crowded. The weather's stunning. And then it's like you said, like you're seeing all 30 teams. So I I worked alongside Tim Tebow and Aaron Judge and just all these guys, um, Seeger and Bellinger, who have come out and been monstrous. And I think that's the unique aspect of it is, like, this is the upper echelon of competition, and they are facing each other. And so you start to kind of build loose relationships here and there. And it's a lot more cohesive for me because I'll mention it to some of the players if I run into them. Oh, you you remember so-and-so. And And they're like, no. (laughs) Um, But – just to have that wide of a scope to work with all 30 and get familiar with them honestly was the biggest leg up that I got as far as understanding minor league baseball, especially when you go into the following spring and you get to track where all these guys are. Um, And I I remember still working with judge and I, I always called him Ferdinand the bull because he's this gigantic individual and he was always so nice. And I remember when we had him, there were still a lot of people, you know, he's not going to make it. He's, he's too slow or he's too big and da-da-da-da-da. And then, you know, he exploded and they had the judges' stands and everything else. I'm like, yeah, I told you so. Like, this guy crushed everything he did out in Arizona. Um, but it's just, it really, if you have the desire and the drive to keep up with the games and to follow, you know, who's doing what and what's going on, coming into spring, it's just, it's so mind-blowing how on top of the baseball scene as a whole you can be from going to that league. So how
2: do you keep all of it straight, swimming and diving, and then spring training, and then axe throwing, and back to baseball? I mean, how, how does it, and then back to swimming and diving, how do you keep all of it straight?
4: I honestly, it almost becomes like a song in my head, and my producer this past weekend, he gets a kick out of it because his favorite game is, oh, Melanie, tell them what you're doing. I'm like, okay, well, in two days, I go to Tampa. On Friday, I go to Canada. I come back Monday. I'm in Tampa for another two weeks. I go to Virginia from here, and then three weeks from that, I go here. And it's just, it's honestly, it's committing it to my agenda and just having to keep everything straight. And that was kind of the worst part. I flew home from North Carolina Sunday evening. Um, So I had yesterday, and then I had to be in my car this morning. So yesterday, I had to have a separate suitcase for Canada, where it's currently 15 degrees, a separate suitcase for Tampa where it's currently 80 degrees. And then I had to start making headway on packing for Virginia for the season in two other separate suitcases. So making sure I had the right stuff and the right one and not forgetting, I'm still half terrified that I only pretended to put my passport in my bag. I mean, um, it's just kind of one thing after another. And that was the forefront of my my only thing that I was worried about when I interviewed for Salem was that I already had a couple, you know, smaller four- and five-day commitments that had been made for during the season. And last year with Frisco, all those commitments fell when we were on the road. So it was seamless. Um, And I knew this year, accepting that number one broadcasting position, you know, it is more responsibility, and I am expected to be there. So I just said in the interview, you know, hey, guys, I'm looking at my schedule right now. I've already looked at your schedule. So we're on the road when I have this, or, I'm, you know, there's two home games when I have this if it's a deal breaker, tell me and we'll work around it. And if not, you know, great. And they, they were fantastic about everything. So last
2: summer I was at the Fort Worth Indie Film Showcase and hopped up to Frisco for a baseball game. And what ended up being, I think it was like a 110 degrees, the hottest baseball game that I've ever, ever been to. How, how do you manage that? Or did, did growing up in Atlanta help?
4: Uh, <laughs> So I kind of got lucky having had the two seasons in Mobile because it's not only just stiflingly humid. I mean, you walk out and you feel like you're walking into like physical. It's not air anymore. It's, it's almost a hanging liquid. Um, and then we're also it's also one of the rainiest cities in America. So I think our record, we had 98 tarp poles before May 1st. And then going to Frisco, we didn't have to deal with the rain as much, but it, the heat was just insane. And it was okay when we were in the booth. You know, you get a little bit of a reprieve from it. But for the couple of games on Fox Sports where I transitioned into a sidelines role, I ended up stealing a minifan out of our office and putting it with me in the camera well in the dugout because I'm there the whole nine inning. Um And it was the day after Emily Jones had just done a temperature segment at Globe Life and the, the seat temp was 150 degrees.
0: Oh wow. So then
4: our grounds crew showed up and he had the same little temp gun and he put it down in the camera well and it was 120. So I'm standing there at 120 and I'm, you know, trying not to sweat my hair and makeup off my face. I've I've got hairspray sticking to every part of me and, um, you know, just I, I stuck my face in that fan and I was right in line for a foul ball the entire game. But I was like, I don't know what else to do because I have to watch. But I can't not be next to the fan.
2: No, it's miserable. It's why I'm glad that Houston had the common sense to play baseball inside as God intended. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about some of the coolest games that you've ever covered.
4: Oh, man. um. Coolest game as a whole.
2: Or will the highlight be when you go see some awesome axe throwing?
4: (laughs) I don't know about the axe throwing yet. And I think what's hard for me to break it down as a game situation is because I lock in so much on each individual athlete. Um, Like I remember when Ender and Ciarte came and rehabbed with us in Mobile and we had a series in Jacksonville, Florida. And just watching his defense in the outfield, like, you knew why he had gold gloves, because he just made it look so easy. It was the best defense I've ever watched live in my life. Um, and, and it was nothing for him. It was effortless. And then I remember we had Gabby Guerrero with us for quite some time, which is Vlad's nephew. And he's actually built more like Vlad than Vlad's son. But Gabby, I think he had like five home runs in two or three games. It was like every time he came to the plate after that, you're just waiting. Like, which one is he going to connect with and send out into the Pensacola Bay? Um, but it's, it's all those little pieces. And in college, I was super involved with our program. So watching them go to NCAA regionals every year. We went to Vanderbilt, I think my second year there. Uh, those little triumphs and the mile markers I guess are what stand out more than anything in particular. Still haven't gotten to witness a perfect game yet. We've gotten close. Um, and you know I see the highlights from Randy Johnson down at Turner Field all the time.
2: So you just been named the play-by-play announcer for the Salem Red Sox which is cool in and of itself but it means that you're part of the first all-female booth in professional baseball. So what does that mean?
4: It's crazy to me to think about it because last year there were a bunch of articles and, and headlines that started coming out when we had um, Emma with a Royals affiliate, and then Kirsten has been with a Phillies affiliate for several years now, and then of course I was with the Rangers. And um, this one particular article came out and they quoted Susie Cool, who is my analyst in Salem. And she said, you know, I saw these women making headlines and she specifically named me. And she said, when I saw what Melanie was doing, I decided to go ask my general manager if I could sit in and do color analysis for some of our games. Um, and to realize you have a physical effect on change and that something happened because of you. I mean, it made me cry. Um, And so she became the fifth woman in minor league baseball to be sitting in a broadcast booth and she still, she does a lot of what I did in mobile where she's juggling multiple roles. Uh, She has a huge focus on marketing and digital media and everything else with Salem, but then she's also their on-field host for home games. And last year she paid out of pocket to travel and call games on the road with um, their then announcer, Ben Gelman. So, moving into this year, she apparently had made plans. She really wanted to find a female to fill the number one role. And between the two of us, that would make it the only solo female booth. Every other booth that has a woman in it also has a man in it. Um, and I don't, I don't think, you know, I've seen a couple of responses that have said, you know, now you're trying to exclude men. I don't think that's the case at all. It's not about the exclusion of them. It's just about the inclusion of women as a whole. And someone said, you know, well, where's the equality in that? I said, well, look, there's, eight women in all of minor and major league baseball. So that means there's over a hundred men. So if you want to talk to me about equality, like come back to me on the numbers shift. Um, Cause I'm I'm grateful. I'm super grateful for all the men I have in my life. They've made a huge impact as far as being a mentor and helping me grow my career. Um, But knowing that I get to look to my right and the person next to me is a female and that I kind of helped, Change her career for her and we're just as excited to work with each other and you know that that it is making history which is crazy to think that in over a hundred years of baseball this is the first time um it's a huge honor and it's just it really I have a tendency to be my an ostrich with the head in the sand and forget that this isn't normal and that this hasn't happened before but it's like every other day when I see a headline my brain just pops up again was like hey doofus like pay attention because you know, there's little girls watching. There's people all over the world that are paying attention to wait how this season unfolds.
2: I think he hit the nail on the head several times. And, you know, truth be told, my dad worked all the time. So the majority of the game that I learned, learning to love the game, and my brother Tim can corroborate that, came from our mom. And so I never really understood the the concept that well, women can't call the game because they didn't play. When truth be told, the majority of the guys call and play by play didn't actually play the game either. Now, I think it's awesome. And I think we can, like you said, we can talk about, you know, whether men are, quote, being excluded when it somehow falls to 50-50 or more. But I think it's awesome, and we're so excited to have you on the show. One of the things that I most admire about, baseball play by play. It says sometimes you got to feel some time when the game maybe slows down or when the game gets out of hand. So do you have any strategies kind of built in for what to talk about when maybe the game itself isn't the focus anymore? When, you know, Salem's up or down by 15 runs.
4: I definitely don't think you can plan it too far out in advance. And that's kind of where I'm excited to bring in my human interest, heavy background to this. Um, just because I, that's always been my focus. And I think that's the unique thing with minor league baseball is a lot of the times you're going to have a lot more losses, especially compared to the major league level. Cause that's not, that's not the end game. It's not wins or losses. It's developing individual talent so that they can, you know, better benefit the parent club. So there were so many games over the last three years of me being in the booth where I'd kind of get off air and I think, well, you know, I had this one story that was kind of neat and it wasn't, you know, it's not anything huge, but I would have liked to tell it and I didn't have time or, you know, I could have put this in here and knowing knowing now that I have full control of the booth and that Susie kind of has a similar mindset to me and she respects what I bring to the table, I know that I can now insert all those little pieces from getting to know the players and getting to know the personal side of them. And that's the unique balance of, Finding that with them to where they respect you enough to where they're not not going to be inappropriate or disrespect you or do anything like that. But they're also not going to walk on eggshells and think, oh, anything I say, she's just going to turn around and say it. But having the trust that I'm going to filter out and if there's something that you're okay with me sharing on air, big or small, you know that I'm going to do it in a tasteful manner that represents you to your best ability and gives you a voice. Because these guys don't get to tell their stories while they're in the dugout. Um, and, and it's funny what makes them tick because I even had a pitcher last year and he got so excited telling me the first time his grandparents came to watch him pitch at the double A level, they sat behind home plate and caught like dead in their lap, a pop-up. Um, and how excited the whole family got and everything else. And it might seem insignificant to other people, but it, you know, it lights them up and it gives it a little more flavor. Um, And it gives you that feel, like you said, when you need to find a void or you need to find something to talk about. There's been so many interviews I've sat down with players and we've talked about the game itself. But then we end up coming away with like three or four personal stories that just honestly sometimes resonate and mean so much more to me than talking about their numbers.
2: So, you know, I'm a movie guy. That's what I do professionally. And so I can't help but notice that, you know, why we are seeing a lot more representation of women in movies, you know, with the Captain Marvel film, for example, and then you had Star Wars, a lot more female characters coming into those movies, but the backlash has been from a, from a certain percentage of the population, really, really negative to the point that it forced one person off social media and everybody wants to know why Brie Larson isn't smiling during the Captain Marvel trailers. Could be that she's a superhero and has to fight aliens. I don't know, but to your news, what has the reaction been like? Has it been mostly positive? Has it been mostly negative?
4: No, it's been honestly really positive, especially on the social media aspect of it, which I used to find a lot of the times that's where you could find the negativity was, you know, the people that hide behind a keyboard and just tweet out their 140 characters and then forget about it. And I've had to develop a thicker skin over time um, as far as, you know, finding my own voice, learning that, People who have opinions like that are not my business and are not my concern. Um, Really, the only negativity that I found, there's been, you know, some trolls on comment sections for articles on the Internet. And I think they know they can do that because now on Twitter, we're starting to have our own voice. And if someone says something, we can smack them right back, basically. Absolutely. But you know, on, on an Internet article, there's no tagging or anything like that. So they, they can pretty much say whatever they want and not have a lot of repercussions. And I even called Susie at one point. I said, hey, I know it's going to make you want to look at it more. But there's this one article. It's a good article, but do not read the comments. Um, And it's just, it's part and parcel with it. And there's always going to be someone who's ignorant enough to think the way that they think about it. But again, it's for those who care in that area, it's not my business.
2: I think uh, that thing is really well said. And I think it's a great place to end the interview. And Melanie, thank you so much for joining Let's Get To. It's been a real, real uh, privilege for me.
4: Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I really appreciate that.
2: Thank you so much to Melanie for joining us. You can listen to her call the games for the Salem Red Sox by going to the TuneIn Radio app or by finding them on the interwebs. And now we're excited to turn our attention to the AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, the Portland Sea Dogs. One of my favorite logos and my second favorite mascot in baseball. We're excited to be joined by their play-by-play announcer, Michael Antonellis. The 2019 season will be Mike's 15th season as the voice of the Sea Dogs. Prior to joining Portland, he spent his first season in AA working for the Erie Seawolves of the Eastern League. And he began his career in 1997 with the Potomac Cannons and has worked in Kane County, Syracuse, and Utica. Antonellis' other play-by-play duties include the UNE basketball and hockey. A native of Ashland, Massachusetts, Mike grew up a huge fan of all Boston sports. And a programming note, not only is Mike doing a great job calling the Sea Dogs game, I've already listened to two or three this year, but he also has a podcast that's a blast to listen to called Behind the Mic. Subscribe to it in iTunes, and we will have the link in the description of this podcast. Mike, welcome to Let's Get Two.
5: I appreciate you having me.
2: So you are the voice behind the mic of the Portland Sea Dogs, correct?
5: That is correct. I've been there. Since 2005, I've been in baseball since 1997.
2: So, how did you get started? How did you get into broadcasting in the first place? And how did you end up being the voice of the Sea Dogs, the AA affiliate of the Red Sox?
5: Yeah, it's a, you know, everyone has those interesting stories. I yeah, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Out of high school, uh, stumbled upon a, a school that had a really nice FM radio station and got some momentum doing radio, and, and wanted to be in baseball and. I found a small station in Milford, Mass, that did Legion Baseball. I I did two years of that, uh, made tapes, landed an internship in Woodbridge, Virginia in 1997. Uh, The guy that hired me at the time is still my best friend to this day. He stayed one year, I took his job, uh, so I was full-time, my second year in sports, moved around and then just through a mutual friend, this uh, Portland had a, a position available in 2005. And I came here because it was a chance to come back home because I'm I'm from Massachusetts originally, and I've been here ever since. It's a terrific organization, and a lot of us have been there for many years, and it's great. You know, it's it's been some some turns where I thought, should I take a left here in my career? And instead I took a right, and I ended up making that right decision. So um, I'm pretty lucky since there's... There's not many New England minor league teams, and I'm fortunate to have one of those jobs.
2: I love listening to baseball on the radio. Um, kind of grew up in the Astrodome, and Milo Hamilton, in a lot of ways, was the voice of my childhood. So many great calls I think about. I can go right back to the time and place. For, for you growing up, who were some of those voices that really inspired you?
5: Uh, the, the, the classic guys. I, I can remember where I grew up in Massachusetts, um, half of the state had cable before the other half. So my grandparents who were about 45 minutes away, uh they had cable. Uh, I thought it was uh, the, the most unbelievable thing in the world. And you know, you, you when you get older you think of little things that that might have helped you along your career and I remember going to my grandparents' house and my grandmother was always okay with me sitting in the other room watching TV, which you know, maybe you tell kids they should be more social, but I think she knew how much I was attached to, to sports, and they happened to have WGN, which was Harry Carey, they had uh, WOR TV, which was Ralph Kiner, and they had WPIX, which was Phil Rizzuto. So um, those were the three baseball guys that I was able to watch outside of listening to Ken Coleman do Red Sox games, and Ned Martin do games on TV for the Red Sox. I was always intrigued by the other guys. And, you know, you had three pretty iconic uh, figures right there with a ton of experience. And then Vin Scully and those guys came along. But, you know, I just got attached to those guys that um, they were personalities. And, you know, they might not have been the best technical broadcasters in the world, but... um, you know, I just thought that style was so much better. So I always loved those guys. And then, um, you know, a lot of the guys in Boston, uh, Bob Wilson who did the Bruins, Johnny Most did the Celtics, uh, larger-than-life characters. And that's kind of what I, you know, idolized and, you know, realized that when you get to a certain age, that yeah, maybe I can do this for a living. So it was a lot of influence very young, and it really helped you know, pave the way.
2: You know, it's funny, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, you know, everybody kind of accused the Cubs of having all these bandwagon fans, and I think it's really disingenuous and doesn't really give credit to just how far the reach WGN had and, and really making Cubs fans all over the country. You know, I know my wife and her brother were Cubs fans because growing up in San Antonio, they did not have a pro team, and that's who they were able to watch on TV.
5: Yeah, and and they were on, Yeah, you know, same with the Braves. You know, I grew up liking the Braves a lot, too, because TBS was that first station where they were on everywhere, um, but, yeah, I mean, the vision at uh, WGN, and they knew what they had there, and it, it did. It became fans everywhere, and I was lucky enough to work in uh, Kane County, which is about an hour outside of Chicago, so I was able to go to some Cubs games. And uh, it's very eerie if you walk into Wrigley Field because it's kind of the same setup when you walk in as it is it walking into Fenway. They were built the same year, so, you know, it's um, – It's very interesting when you look back at how certain things impact your life. And, you know, who thought that my grandparents having cable television, you know, back in the 80s would have any influence of my career in my 40s? It's uh, it's cool. You know, it's neat to look back at some of those things and and that paved the way.
2: It's funny. I I guess we're probably about the same age. And so cable pushed me into movies while cable pushed you into baseball. got to got to love. gotta love cable. So, you know, I'm a big Astros fan, like I said, and now the voices are Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, and I'm not sure there's anybody on the major league level doing it better. But I was listening to a game last year, and, you know, the Astros were getting shellacked, but I remember thinking about how good those two had to be on the radio, and they were talking about stuff that wasn't even necessarily baseball-related, and they were just kind of joking around, and, and to keep the broadcast interesting. And so it got me thinking, like, what is the struggle there what is the strategy when maybe the game is out of reach and you got to keep people listening
5: yeah well first off rob ford's a good friend of mine because rob worked in this league that i'm in now and uh, i actually had a chance to see him at the playoff game um we're very fortunate that our owners buy tickets when the red sox are in the in the playoffs so i got to see rob and uh you know he that personality you hear that's that's rob but you know, I think it's a gift. You know, I don't know how you teach someone to fill time. I think baseball is not for everybody. And I just, I never really had a problem with it. And I always, you know, when I was younger, I never wanted to admit that because you always have people saying how hard it is to do. And it, it can be, but I, I like that part of it. Um, talking about the game, I can just think of something and and, and it's like I'm browsing a website. I just keep going on to a different thing. And um, I I don't know. I think a lot of it is being able to retain a lot. I can instantly recall certain things in in sports history. It helps being with a Red Sox affiliate. You know, I can bring up the 1986 Red Sox, and I could tell you, how every game in the World Series went just from memory and we we play a, a a Mets affiliate in our league and you know there was one time where Wally backman was the manager and I was able to instantly go back to the 86 World Series and talk about you know his impact against the Red sox so I think it's being able to retain a lot, uh, obviously doing a lot of prep, but I think that's an important part, and I think people like to hear a personality and um you know, the guy I work with at home, I, I've always tried to mentor him, and he's he's great at doing this, too, is that, you know, it's it's a baseball. It should be fun. And I think that it is really – I, I love the fact that I picked that um, avenue of radio because it, you do have a lot of creative freedom. And I know every night that the game can go in, in a million different directions. But, you know, when it gets out of hand, you, you still have to call the game, too. So it's not that you – if a game is, is a blowout, you know, you're still responsible to give the details because there's people that are interested in certain things about the game. Even if it's 10 nothing, they still want to know about this guy or how this guy's pitching. But um, I find that being a, a, an enjoyable part is when you get a chance to really go off scripts, and, and that's what I enjoy. You know, you have to ad-lib everything, and I've done this for so many years that it just continually becomes fun to, to create. It's like painting every night. That's you know that's the art of it.
2: So you guys easily have, in my opinion, anyway, the second best mascot in sports was Slugger the Sea Dog. Tell me a little bit about Slugger because for those of you that aren't following, you should follow Slugger on Twitter because the, the stuff that he does, the the recreating Home Alone during the off season, just little things like that, really, really keep people entertained. So tell me a little bit about Slugger.
5: Yeah, it is. We're we're very fortunate in. Around this whole area, you know you can go two hours north of Maine. Uh, we do uh, a lot of appearances. We even go down to Red Sox winter weekend, which they host in Foxwoods and people know who Slugger is uh, the Red Sox fan base has become very in tune with the minor league affiliates that's changed you know when I was younger, no one cared about the minor leagues now it's it's completely changed and and social media has helped uh, hitting it at the right time uh, the people that work with Slugger to put everything together in his social media team—they're outstanding. And the skits that they come up with—and it's—it's just really trying to enhance the experience. But I, I tell everybody that you know he's to me our number one marketing. Um, everybody knows who Slugger is; they love him, and we do so many appearances. I mean probably over 150 a year we do a lot for charity he goes up to to the uh, children's hospital a couple times a month so it's really evolved and you know the mascot business has evolved too and and now i think with social media and, and just with getting more things out there it's getting promoted more And minor league baseball is really good to us they've done a lot promoting slugger and um you know it just uh, i think people like to see that you know you put a mascot in clips and we we've recreated so many different things. They did a, a big Lebowski skit, and uh, it's just people love the videos. So we just you have to keep stepping it up and delivering more.
2: Yeah, I kind of want Slugger in Orbit from the Astros to do a buddy cop movie. I think that would be fantastic.
5: That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that that whole part of uh, baseball is great, and and that's the thing with the big leagues too. You know, they're they're getting more like us with doing promotions and. and promoting their mascot, and, uh, you know, that business has taken off. You know,
2: I think minor league baseball is, is really way ahead of the promotion area, and it's something I think major league baseball could really borrow from. What are some of the best promotions you guys have had with Portland, and what are some of the things we can look forward to in the future?
5: You know, I think the, the number one thing that our fans probably would tell you, know, I try to think of if you were going to ask this to a fan, um, of course the fireworks, the bobbleheads are crazy. We have lines, um, our biggest lines of the year for those. And those are the staples. But the one game that is very unique that we do that no one else does is we have a Field of Dreams game at the end of the season. And if you ever wanted to come up and and film something, this would be the ultimate. We actually get real corn stock that we set up through center field. uh, And Um, and center field, (laughs) I come out wearing this really, uh, it's an interesting outfit. You know, I look like an old time golfer and I recite parts of the movie and the players walk through the cornfield and they act you know like they're from the 20s and they act all surprised and with the music playing underneath and it, we do it at the end of the year it's very emotional you know our, our owners they're tearing up in the front row there are fans tearing up it's an appreciation day and then the second part of that is when the players are, are walking through the field and they get close to the gates they go into the stands and they thank the fans for everything. It's truly I've been doing it for many years, but I, you know, I get very emotional, I get the goosebumps. It's one of the best things I've ever seen uh, live. And it's it's something you truly have to be in the stands and and you can feel the emotion. And it's become a staple that the Sea Dogs do and uh it's probably one of the things that you'd have people say, yeah, that feel the dreams game. If you talk to a Sea Dog fan, they would know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, my
2: festival falls too close to the 2019 date, but I will be there for 2020.
5: You would, it won't disappoint. I, I promise you, you'll you'll think it's uh, you'll love it. And and to that, your second part of the question, we're trying to get more creative this year. What we did with our bobbleheads is we tailored them after some great moments in Red Sox uh, 2018 World Championship. Uh, we have. Uh, Ben and Tandy with that diving catch, we have him in the dive. But Brock Holt, who hit for the cycle, the only cycle in playoff history, he is on a cycle. So we got really creative. That's great. We did the Mookie Betts, you know, catch over the fence at Yankee Stadium. So, uh, we're, you know, we're, you have to really constantly come up with different things. So those are are, are three huge things that we're doing. We're also going to be the Maine Whoopie Pies for one day because Maine – uh, they claim you know, Pennsylvania claim they're the state, the state treat is the whoopie pie, but really Maine is. So for one day against Redding, the Pennsylvania team, we're going to be the Maine whoopie pies.
2: I love that. I love the fauxback night, the throwback night. Last year, the Staten Island Yankees were the pizza rats. You know, how do the players respond? How do they respond to getting to play as the whoopie pies for a weekend? And, and, you know, what are their thoughts on it?
5: Yeah, you know, everyone in the office—they'll ask me those questions because I'm closer to them. You know, I think the, the ultimately they care about how the uniforms fit. You know, it, it, believe it or not, they don't—they don't care as much as how they look. I mean, we've had them in some goofy uh, outfits, and they're kind of used to it by the time they get to double-A because in, in the lower levels they do even more. You know, one thing with us is that we do a lot of stuff, but we still want baseball to be a big part of it. We're in, you know, in other parts of the country and at the lower levels it is more about the promotions and there's nothing wrong with that it, you know it should be so I, I think if it gets to be too ridiculous and we're really good where if, if it got to the point where it was really that bad we wouldn't do it you know our our front office our upper management they're pretty good about wanting the players to be comfortable but they've been in star wars outfits you know we of course do things around breast cancer awareness with the pink. but i think this will be unique the 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 uniforms are nice, and, you know, sometimes there's a little backlash with this that, well, everybody's renaming their team and doing rebranding for one day, but our answer to that is, okay, if we don't, if not everyone goes on board, I mean, there was one point where there was one team that did bobbleheads, you know, everyone, we kind of all eventually do the same things if if they know it's going to work business-wise and in terms of the buzz we get, so... Uh, the, the team you just mentioned, the Pizza Rats, and uh, Lowell did something really good last year. Um, the Connecticut team did the lobster rolls, and it's it's nice. I, I think it's great. I mean, I think being different and creating a different buzz, and when we did our big media uh, campaign for this in February, we got a huge response from the media, and we sold a ton of merchandise, and we got you know some influences on Instagram to wear the hat, so... It, it really helped us PR wise. And I think part of those days rebranding is the, the free promotion you get to on the media side.
2: So, talk a little bit about the community because, you know, I had a couple of incidents. One, I was wearing a Sea Dogs sweatshirt in Houston and hanging out with my mom, and a guy came up to me with, you know, who was from my guest, the area. We high five, talked a little bit about the Sea Dogs. I was in Toronto last year and saw a guy with the Sea Dogs hat. We started chatting it up. And so, clearly, that you're, you know, for double a team you have a bigger fan base than most but talk a little bit about community outreach and about growing that fan base and how how does that all work
5: yeah that's a great question you know we're we're constantly i think having different ages of of fan of uh, people in our office is great you know i'm in my 40s but i've never really gotten that oh when i was younger Things were better. I, I I'm trying to always evolve. I think we constantly try to adjust. I can remember when there was some hesitation about us making a Facebook page, and I think we've got, I, uh, seventy five thousand likes. You know, um, we're we're doing more with social media. We're we're doing more to connect with the fans. We're always trying to do more in the community. But we we have a lot of meetings. You know, we do a post season meeting for a week. We write down ideas, but. I've always felt having different ages, um, we have more females in the office. Uh, it just helps us get different perspective. Um, we're very popular in the community. We're very lucky that, you know, we don't have to go out and do a ton to, to get a lot of attention, but we don't act like that we don't have to. So we're constantly, you know, Slugger is the, is the big part of the community. Um, but we just try to stay in touch a lot more we're to respond to everybody that we Receive messages for, but you know I'm I'm lucky to work in this kind of for this kind of organization because I have worked for other teams that have been great, but this is just very unique. And and we also have the Maine tie. You know, Maine is a vacation destination. We've used that. We are you your nine in a vacation a lot. And um, I I still think we're constantly growing. And, and even though we're very popular, it's uh, you know it's it's interesting because the Red Sox can dictate some things that we do as well with rehabs, and, and if they're playing well at the big league level, it can affect us in, in certain ways. So it's just always trying to get better, you know. It's the, it's the Bill Belichick line, you know. We're always trying to get better every week.
2: You know, it does seem like you guys are, are, are going to be lucky because the Red Sox obviously coming off a World Series. You know, and I talked to the Round Rock Express GM, and he talked about the fact that they have the added bonus of, you know, being able to sell the Round Rock experience, but also having a good product because of how strong the Astros Farm Club is. But what is the strategy there about selling a team when you don't really know what the baseball on the field product will be like?
5: yeah, and I think that's you know, I've always said it if people came based on how we played, that would be bad for business um, you know I mean I think the big leagues they would say they would say that's not true, but i mean if team if people went to games in the big leagues and and you know filled those stadiums and, and bought concessions regardless of the team won or lost you know that that might be. They might not sign as many free agents, but I mean that would be a dream come true. You know, attendance is affected by wins and losses in the major league level. For us, it's not. You know, we haven't. We we we've gone through times where we thought maybe it is, but we've been pretty bad the last three years, and it really hasn't mattered. You know, the team changes a lot. uh, One little thing that they've changed in this league this year: we're going to be having a, a first and second half. The Eastern League has always stayed very traditional because the east coast is, is very against change but finally they thought it would be better to have two different halves so you'll have a first half winner and a second half winner in each division so for us last year we would have finished second in the second half and so those things help but there's always the, the, the constant prom, uh, promoting prospects now you know the minor league game has become big through baseball america and, and true really the people who cover the big league game, the, the Red Sox B riders, they're very in tune with what's going on all the way down to our short season level and they're talking about all these guys. So now all the fans in Boston, they know who all these players are, where uh, when I was a kid, nobody really knew who Wade Boggs was until he got to the big leagues. Now it, now it's gotten so extreme where they want every guy that goes up there or they don't want anyone traded but you know, people knew who Mookie Betts was, they knew Ben Intending, they knew right. these guys way before. And I think that's really a really a win for all baseball fans. And I do feel that baseball is going in a really good direction because it's getting younger. Uh the Astros as you've seen, you know, they really dismantled, rebuilt and they're young, but there's going to be some younger stars that are going to arrive on the scene shortly and I and I think the game is in really good hands in the future.
2: I did want to ask you about the state of the game because you know the Atlantic League and Major League Baseball are partnering for some drastic rules changes, including you know how far back the mound goes, things like that. I'm of one who thinks that the game is you know in pretty good hands. I think we've got a really dynamic group of players playing right now, including Mookie Betts. As much as it hurt to watch him beat up on the Astros, but what are your thoughts like where the game is now?
5: Yeah, you know, I, listen, I, I have some feelings about it, and I don't mind talking about it. Um, I have no problems with changes. Uh, to anything, um, I think in any facet of, you know, in, the, in the TV, and I, I've talked about this before, you know, if a show's not doing well and, and you have a decline in, in audience, and it has to be canceled. You know, I've investigated some of this, and I look at it, Major League Baseball announced that they did a record in revenue. The Wall Street Journal, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, but uh, baseball participation in 18 was up. And we've always, you know, I've been hearing this since the 80s that the kids aren't playing baseball anymore. Well, that's not true. And then there's research. Uh, the New York Times had this, I think, four or five years ago, that most TV markets, their number one local TV show is baseball. The ratings are doing well. So if everything is on the on the up, what's going on? Why is there this reason to change it? I just don't understand. If if you okay, even if we make these games two and a half hours. If we feel that millennials or whoever, it doesn't have to just be millennials, if they're having a problem staying in touch with something that long, why would two and a half hours a night at 162 games be any better? You know what I mean? Like It it seems like we're trying to to fix something, but I can give you five or six examples where 162-game commitment, that seems like a lot for if we're saying that people can't stay in touch. I I mean – if it was two hours a night, that would wouldn't that be a lot? You know, uh, there's twenty five, twenty six games a month, so I'm not sure what's going on. You know, I don't mind little tweaks. The mound thing seems a little weird. Obviously, they want velocity to go down. That's what I'm. I uh, the only thing I can think of. I don't know how that would you know help, a like a curveball pitcher or change changeup pitcher, that's going to be a huge adjustment. Um, you know, these are things they're just going to toy with, but you know, I don't I don't know where this is going. You know. Um, if we want more offense then you're going to get stuck with longer games so it it's weird to me all these things when it, on paper it doesn't seem like baseball is having any kind of problem in in terms of ratings in terms of money
2: yeah a lot of it's really counterintuitive the, the solution more offense slows the game down the real the real culprit here is longer commercial breaks and i think the way you fix that is you know, you put an inset, you put a scroll underneath, and you just sell ad space on the scroll, and you let the game play at the pace in which the game is supposed to play.
5: Yeah, and I, uh, you know, what you just said, that was another one of my argument points that I always bring up, that I remember as a broadcaster, um, you know, we have clocks in between innings, but before that, and, and the, the, the biggest people that, that I have proof on my side with this was, was our producers at the studios. We used to get out of breaks, and, you know, I have a lot of games on tape, I get out of a break after we do minute and a half. I've been doing that for as long as I've been doing this. I get out of a break and I'm reading two or three promos. The guys aren't warming up. And I used to say, geez, we, you know, sometimes we'd be three minutes in between. And now with the clocks, you know, when we go to break, it's two Oh five, I believe. And you know, it's tight, you know, we get out of that break and we're ready to go, but they're not going to cut down that revenue. So like, you can't, put it all on the players and say, well, we're not going to cut down revenue, you know, on our end. So, and again, if we're talking about shaving 15, 20 minutes off, you know, I don't know, is that ultimately going to help? You know, it's football and baseball, it's apples and oranges. It's very tough to compare. You know, I find myself more in tune. I'm a baseball guy, but I, you know, it's easier for me to watch football once a week or commit to it, you know. So you can't compete with those Um, but yeah, it just seems like there's a lot going on and, you know, anytime you start changing things, then it just becomes, all right, well, let's just keep going. So it is a little wacky, um, but at least they're doing it in the Atlantic league and not doing it at our level.
2: I think my last point on that is I think just as a culture with so much divided attention, you know, with phones and screens and all that stuff that we really are having just a patience problem and an attention problem and anything that I think, Forces deliberation and forces you to follow something at a deliberate pace is probably probably beneficial.
5: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's you know, I don't think it's just millennials that are you know, I think we we put too much on them. I mean, we're all in electronics, but I'd like to see you know if there's some some something bleeding somewhere in this system, you know, whether games are, you know, I've heard this too that for some markets uh, baseball games are on a regular network like an ABC or CBS where in Boston they're not they're on their own network and some games are bleeding into the 11 o'clock news and we all know that that's a huge business so I don't know if like there's some pressure with networks and you know I've heard that but again you know if you really want to make things faster or quicker you know you need to shorten maybe the game in terms of innings but like you said just have the game, never go to a commercial, just keep it going, you know, keep things scrolling on the bottom. So like
2: I said, I'm going to come up to Field of Dreams night next year. What do you hope someone from Austin, Texas gets out of their very first Portland Sea Dogs experience?
5: That you got a a real slice of New England. You know, I, I remember being away from New England. You know, when you leave a place that you grew up in, you kind of forget what it's like. And then I remember coming to Hadlock Field. I worked for a team in Erie, Pennsylvania in '04, before I came to Portland, Maine, I remember going there and being like, wow, you know, you forget the, the air is different. You know, it's crisper. You can smell the ocean. It's just different. It, it's just greener there. We have uh, a main monster in left. We call it the main monster. It's green just like Fenway. It's not as wide, it's as, it, it's as tall as Fenway, but we call it the main monster, M A I N E. Uh, our fans are terrific. And it's like being at a big league game. They cheer for the other team if they make a nice play. They're very in tune. Um, we have a lighthouse that raises if we hit a home run. We have seats in right field where you can catch a home run. We have amazing food. That's one thing, and you need to get a Sea Dogs biscuit, which is two chocolate chip cookies with ice cream in the middle. But it's probably oh. one of the most so. Yeah, I mean, it, everyone raves about them. We have, I think, the best stadium pizza. Like, I, I always tell people I would eat that pizza at home. You know there's certain ballpark food, you don't only eat the ballpark, but we have a lot of food that you would that you would want to order and eat at home, but it's just when you go there, you're going to feel probably by the end that you are part of a family the this, the game day people, are ushers, you know we have ushers that have been there since day one they're they're very accommodating and um, you're going to be right on top of the action, but I, I think you'll really like it. Well, Mike,
2: thanks so much for joining Let's Get To and talking Portland Sea Dogs. It's been great.
5: Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me.
2: So now we round second, heading to third for the AAA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, the Pawtucket Red Sox, or Paw Sox, as they're often known. And their logo is about adorable, so I definitely recommend checking it out we're excited to welcome the senior VP for sales and marketing, Rob Crane. Rob Crane is a native of Burlington, Massachusetts, and a graduate of Springfield College in Springfield. While at Springfield College, Rob double majored in sports management and business management with a concentration in marketing, but he also pitched for the school's baseball team. Rob's first job in affiliated baseball led him to Battle Creek, Michigan in 2005 to become a group sales representative with the Southwest Michigan Devil Rays, the single-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. In September of 2006, Rob moved to Omaha, Nebraska, to work with the Omaha Royals, the AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals. As assistant GM, he helped the club set sales records for five consecutive years in advertising and group sales, along with the highest attendance since the 2000 season. As a member of the club's leadership team, Rob played an integral part in the design and construction of Warner Park, as well as leading the club's rebrand to the Omaha Storm Chasers. After consulting for the club, Rob began working full-time for the Pawtucket Red Sox as the team's senior vice president, sales and marketing, overseeing ticket sales, sponsorship sales, marketing, merchandise, client service, and special events. Currently, Rob, along with his wife Amy, a Connecticut native, and daughter Madeline live in Lincoln, Rhode Island with their two golden retrievers, Tessie and Molly. Rob, thanks for joining us on Let's Get Two. Yeah, great. So let's start from the beginning. How did you get into baseball and how did you end up being in a minor league baseball
1: triple-A front office? So I got started in minor league baseball and uh, uh, baseball winter meetings in 2004. I was uh, just a recent graduate of Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I realized, I heard that, you know, the baseball winter meetings, I knew, you know, they signed free agents and all that good stuff there. ESPN was there and all that. But I didn't realize that there was like a 600-person job fair at the baseball winter meetings. And uh, so me and my best friend uh, flew from Boston to uh, Anaheim, California, and uh, I got my first gig as a group sales executive from the now defunct Southwest Michigan Devil Rays uh, at the time, the low-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay, at the time Devil Rays, and a uh, long time ago, uh, and uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> making $16,000 a year uh, and getting 5% Commission on $3 group tickets. I didn't make much money in those first couple of years.
2: That sounds a lot like independent film. You don't make a lot of money.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so you guys are the AAA affiliate for the world champion Boston Red Sox. Can you explain to the listeners how much autonomy do you have to run your own club versus how much influence does the parent club have?
1: So think about it in two distinct and separate buckets. Uh, in the minor, in the affiliated minor league, uh, business, you have the minor league team, the Paw Sox, which runs the business operations. So we sell all the tickets, we sell all the concessions, we sell all the sponsorships. We do the business side. We make sure that the players get on a bus, you know, from Pawtucket and head to Rochester. Um, but and then the Boston Red Sox, they handle all of the players, all of the coaches, uh, they and who goes up, who goes down. Uh, It's uh, negotiated through uh, a whole big minor league baseball agreement um, uh, called the Professional Baseball Agreement, uh, and uh, they handle everything from a player coaching uh, standpoint. But the players are just such an interesting thing in—I would even say specifically in Triple A—because I think I—we were doing it last year. uh, It was at 35. Of the forty-eight players, I think my numbers right, um, that played for Boston at some point last year, thirty-five of them played in Pawtucket uh, at some point in their career. Oh, right, right. And uh, so you've got an incredible history of them being able to come down, you know, on on their way up. So there's so many of them that that do that. But on the flip side of that, there's also a Triple A. There's so much uh, player turnover. So we throw a big party, welcome the team party, uh, you know, the day before opening day. And there's the 25 players and the coaches and everything. At the end of the season, of those 25 players that were at that opening day party, six of them were at the, on the roster <laughs> at the end of the year. Wow. So it's just such a moving target because they go up to Boston, they go down to Portland. Um, you know, they, uh, are released, they move on. It's just there's so much turnover from a player standpoint at the AAA level.
2: You guys didn't have your rosters for very long before the season actually started. How do you market a team or how do you build a marketing plan when you don't know who's going to be playing for your team?
1: So we consider, you know, uh, our, uh, our business really an entertainment business so we feel like we compete against mini golf and restaurants and movie theaters and uh and the like so we're really trying to uh promote that it's fun to come out to the ballpark there's great baseball uh you know the kids are going to have a great time bringing the kids out there's star wars fireworks uh tonight uh and promotions like that uh are uh, are, are the draw. The, the players are the draw for a, a portion of the diehard, um, you know, Sox fans, which are plenty in uh, New England. But uh, how you really do this is you don't really focus a lot on the, on uh, what happens between the lines. Cause you can't control it. What you focus on is the experience of the fan of the guest, when they get to the ballpark, you know, having a compelling uh, entertainment while they're uh uh, while they're at the park and uh, really just uh, have a good time. There's, some, there's a stat that came out that was 75% – 75, three out of every four – of the people who leave a minor league game have no earthly idea what the score was at the end of the game. <laughs> no wow. idea. That's just not why they go to a minor league game. They go to a minor league game to – you know, for uh, it's like a nine-inning vacation, right? They just kind of want to get away. They just want to go have a good time. They want to have fun. Uh, and then hopefully sees, And at the AAA level, they'll see great baseball. Uh, but the players just kind of come and go so freely. You might market a player here and there. Like when we had Devers, right? Raphael Devers came up a couple of years ago through us. Um, and he was a big-name prospect, and you promoted him some. Uh, but he was gone in two weeks. Maybe not even that, ten days right 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 so it's like you can't you know it'd be difficult to put all your chips in the player basket when there's just so much turnover
2: i imagine too with you guys being the triple a team and so close to boston that you'll have rehab starts occasionally and you can market those
1: that always helps too when you get a big name guy you know we've had kimbrough come through uh, a couple of years ago in a rehab and brock holt and those types of things uh and that absolutely helps and uh Really try to promote those type of players, uh, from a rehab standpoint. Um, and, you know, we're blessed at the AAA level to, to be so close to Boston and so that they have the ability to, you know, get back, uh, get back up and running so we can get them back to Boston.
2: So I think Major League Baseball could take a real page from the minors as far as how they handle promotions and things. What are some of the favorite promotions you've been involved with and your, with your history in the game?
1: Uh, you're hitting my way back button a little bit. Uh, I, I, so ESPN Magazine used to do a fun thing in their magazine called the Vecchi Awards, named after you know the uh, Bill Vecchi, the uh, uh, Chicago Cubs owner from long, long uh, Chicago White Sox owner from a long long time ago. And uh, we won a Vecchi in probably 2008 or 2009 for our Jersey Shore night. Uh, where we all uh, uh, Jersey shore television show was all at the height of it. And we all had our blowouts and fake pans and we were fist pumping and all kinds of crazy stuff that we were doing. And, uh, uh, that was fun. I think way back when, um, so I'll get this, we used to have an intern, uh, and I was hiring for a creative intern, right? So the guy to make the graphics and, uh, I was going through the resumes. We had a lot of good resumes and, uh, I get to one and the guy's name's Ty Cobb. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, so <no. laughs> I stopped. It's Ty Cobb and it's on a resume, Ty Cobb. And, uh, he's got all the qualifications, right? He knows Photoshop, he knows InDesign, he knows all these things. And, uh, so I call him, great kid, uh, interview him, hire him, whole thing. So Ty was a great guy. And, uh, so we had a, uh, Ty Cobb night <laughs> where he was an intern. And, uh, so we gave out, uh, baseball cards of that iconic, uh, Ty Cobb baseball card that, you know, goes for, sells for a few million dollars every 10 years or so. Right. And, right. uh, uh, so, but instead of the, that being the picture, it was Ty Cobb, the intern in the same pose. <laughs> uh, and we gave out Ty Cobb pictures. We had Ty, uh We had Ty uh, uh, sign autographs at the front, and then my my favorite my my favorite was uh he was a single you know 22 23 year old kid at the time, and uh you could win a date with Ty Cobb. Oh <laughs> no! Uh, and uh, we had some pictures. I think someone uh, got a date with him. I don't think it lasted, but. Uh, uh, we had a lot of fun with, uh, we had a lot of fun with that. So those are a couple of the more memorable ones that we've
5: done. You know, I, I really
2: like where baseball's going, particularly in the minor leagues. You know, I grew up in Houston, so I was always really passionate about the majors and the Astros, but it wasn't really until I started hitting the circuit for independent film festivals where I started really discovering minor league baseball. And now pretty much if I can find a game within two hours of a screening venue, I'm going to go.
1: love the dedication.
2: Yeah, like I'm playing in Fort Myers, so I'm gonna go see the Miracle and the Tampa Tarpons. So nice. So people around the majors are always talking about this game that they've got to fix that the game is somehow broken. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is 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 the game in trouble or is the game strong?
1: I think that you have a struggle, right? I still, I think minor league, you know, baseball is still baseball. Uh, but the nice thing about in the minor leagues is you can try things, right? So. Last year was the first year that in the extra innings uh, that they put a guy on second uh, in the minor leagues uh, at the beginning in the tenth inning. Initially, I hated the idea. I thought it was taken away from the game, and you know I was a pitcher in college, and I was like, what about the guy on second? I'm thinking from a pitcher's perspective. I was like, you're instantly putting at a disadvantage. But then I was watching it. And I go. This makes the game so much better. It made instant drama. As soon as you get to the tenth, there's a guy on second. There's nobody out. And it's like, holy cow, this is great. And the fans were way more into it. Uh, so I hope uh, that the major leagues can do something similar, um, where they take the experiments that they've done in the minor leagues and implement them in uh, in big league baseball because uh it, some of them turn out to be really really good
2: you know it's funny because at first, I also hated the idea of the guy on second, you know, but it's not a it's not football or something like that where it's sudden death each team is going to get that opportunity and you know getting a little bit of late extra inning scoring is always better
1: yeah it, it, you know you can see managers who are gonna you know punt with the first guy on right so now you got third guy on third uh with one out um and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't um. But it just makes, you don't have to wait for the drama. The drama is instantly created. And uh, I thought it turned out to be great. I really did. I'm not sure it shortened anything, but it definitely made the games more entertaining.
2: You know, so I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what the minor league player lifestyle is like, particularly at the AAA level.
1: Yeah, uh, so there's, in AAA baseball, it's a little bit different. I kind of go back to my low A days, right, Uh, when I was in Battle Creek. And uh, you'd see it there uh, in, a, in a right in front of you kind of way. So you have the guys who were first round picks that got the million dollar signing bo- bonuses, and they were driving, you know, uh, Porsches and uh, all these nice cars and everything. But then you had the guys who were the 38th round pick, and low A was their third stop after they were in rookie ball short season uh, and such. They just had a different perspective, and they're driving broken-down Chevy Luminous. And uh, uh, so you can see the discrepancy. And there's some of these guys that were, you know, two-bedroom houses with four guys in them uh, or two-bedroom apartments with uh, four guys in them. Uh, and there's a huge discrepancy. And I think, uh, too, you know, think about it, too. you got to – there's a as – as, as we all know, there's such a Latin influence in our game. And some of these guys come over from – uh, Latin American countries, and they don't know how to speak. You know, they they uh, they're not fluent in English, and they got to go to places like Battle Creek, Michigan, and you know Clinton, Iowa, and they got to go like get an apartment, <laughs> uh, and it's it's hard for uh, guys like that to. to it's, that's a hard transition to make. I really always felt for those guys. Who were uh, trying to make that, uh, that transition. And uh, so there's definitely uh, different scales of that uh, as well. And then it just kind of begins to even and out, especially as you go into the A. There's, you know, we have a uh, Nate Castillo, who's making $75 million, I think, over the course of his contract. And then you got guys that are still the 38th round pick trying to make their, uh, make their way up. So, um, you know, it's an interesting dichotomy of folks.
2: So, you know, we're going to be rooting you guys from afar. Good luck for the season. And thanks so much for joining Let's Get Two.
1: Yeah, no problem. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much. And now
5: on to close
1: it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that wraps it
2: up for this episode of Let's Get Two. Thanks to Melanie, Mike, and Rob for coming on and talking about the Red Sox farm system. We can't wait to follow Salem, Portland, and Pawtucket through the rest of the season. Now we end with four bits of news. Two of them good. Two of them, well, not so good. So let's start with the not so good. Let's, let's start with the things that we're not happy about. First of all, ESPN. Now I understand that the story is that ESPN is struggling a bit, that they are having an issue. They are facing competition and losing some revenue. Some of that may or may not have to do with my longhorn network I enjoy so much, but I just really wasn't digging how they kept cutting to watch poor Chris Davis break the record for futility by going 0 for his last 47. It might be because I was really enjoying watching the Astros and the Yankees and didn't need to be cut to that game, but it just felt like cruel and unusual punishment. I do remember when they would cut to McGuire during the home run race, McGuire and Sosa in the 90s, and I understand that. But I think that in a, and maybe it's just where I'm at headspace wise, where I'm really focusing on focusing on things that are positive. Watching this poor guy struggle at this game that's really, really unforgiving and seeing it made kind of a mockery of people on social media and even on the network seemed like pretty low, was in pretty low form for the worldwide network. I don't know why we needed to see it. I don't know that anybody really cared. And if you think about it, the people that were enjoying that kind of a moment, it's not really an attitude or behavior that I really think we need to encourage. Call me old fashioned. Like I said, you know, I I can only come at the world from the perspective I'm in. And that's the perspective of, you know, someone in their forties who has seen a lot of really, really Gross things in his career, particularly at the beginning of that career when I was in the military and deployed to Bosnia in the 90s, that when I turn on a baseball game, I'm looking at a break from negativity. I'm looking at a break from the real world. And so cutting to watch this poor guy, you know, come inches away from breaking that streak only to go 0 for 47 is not something I really, really needed. The other thing I want to talk about is the decision by the Trump administration in regards to Cuba. Now, look, this is not a political podcast in any way, shape or form. This is not going to become a a podcast where I talk about my feelings on the current administration. But I do think that there's a lot to be said for trying to normalize relationships with Cuba. And it does seem like for me on first blush, a bad idea to kind of go back on an agreement we had made that would have really... Put a lot of ball players that are going to do whatever they can do to get here to play ball anyway, you know, at har- in, in harm's way because now they're going to be, ref- they're going to be forced to kind of getting here the same way Cuban defectors used to. I don't claim to be an expert in political affairs. I don't claim to be an expert in international relations. I'm sure there's lots of reasons on both sides of the argument on this issue as far as whether or not it should be easy for Cuban baseball players to come over here to play ball. It does seem like, to me at least, an unnecessary step backward. I do hope it gets resolved. I just hate that the administration has decided to go back on an agreement that was made that I thought was good for baseball and good for the players. But we do have some good news. So one of the things that we'll be doing is highlighting a couple of players every episode as our Players of the Week. And the first one is Kevin Biggio. Now, of course, some of you are already eye-rolling thinking, well, Craig, Biggio is your favorite player ever. Of course, you're going to talk about his son, but I've had the opportunity to watch the Buffalo Bisons a couple of times on MILB TV, and this kid is just raking. Now, I know, of course, the mantra right now is small sample size, small sample size, but in six games with 20 at-bats, he has already gotten eight hits, two bombs. I saw him steal a base. He's got three total, and he's already batting 400. So I'd love to see Kevin keep it up. It would be really cool because that whole Toronto Blue Jays system, particularly that Buffalo club is really, really exciting to watch because there's so much talent on that team. So it'll be nice to see all that talent kind of go up and, you know, hopefully help the big club this year, because I think, I think having a Toronto Blue Jays team that's good is a lot of fun for me personally, because one of my best friends is a Blue Jays fan. So he's got a lot to look forward to. It was fun watching those guys. Speaking of super talented ball clubs over in the Pacific Coast League, the Round Rock Express have a loaded, loaded team as well. And this is a shout out to Jordan Alvarez, who already got four bombs on the year and had three in one game on Saturday. So one of the things to look forward to as we progress into the season, we'll be doing our minor league power rankings. So keep a lookout for us ranking, uh, the teams at the, at a, at a minimum, the double A AA and triple A level. But the other piece of good news, we want to do a special congratulations to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers and the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Those are two teams playing their inaugural seasons this year, Amarillo, Texas, and Fayetteville, North Carolina. The Sod Poodles won their first home game the other night. So congratulations, Soddies. And a congratulations to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, who won their very first game in their history and made a statement doing it 15 to nothing. So that's about wraps it up for us. We're going to have an interview with the general manager of the Gwinnett Stripers next week. So stay tuned for that. And as always, enjoy some baseball. And until next time, let's get to